Hey there, you're listening to Making Spaces, the podcast about community, culture, and making new connections, hosted by my good Judy, my friend and yours, Sarah Heath. On this podcast, we're having conversations about design, literally making spaces, and how some of the most inclusive spaces aren't always the most inviting. And we're talking about what it means to make space for one another. With the world the way it is right now, we need to find ways to have conversations across lines of radical difference. So join Sarah each week as she tackles the intersection of design and practical spirituality with conversations with some of the most fabulous guests you're ever going to meet. Some will talk about actual design, some of us will talk about relational design, but no matter what, it's an incredible time. So grab yourself a cup of whatever you like, and welcome to Making Spaces with Sarah Heath. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, to me, that is getting back to fear. I think the polarization is on some level an expression of fear of the loss of something. Mm-hmm. If you don't have it your way, and and you know we're all prone to that, so I'm I'm not I'm not pointing fingers here, but it's it's really really in front of us, and you know I mean <laughs> I don't mean this as as too blanket a statement, but a lot of people are raised at least in the American Christian scene, let's say Protestant conservative Protestant Christian scene, to uh, to polarize in a sense, to you know we're we're right. The problem is with those people out there somewhere. And that fosters that. I think a lot of people come by that attitude, uh, you know, innocently. And, you know, and I, I certainly have in my own background that too. And um, to, to create an alternate community where that kind of polarization is not the norm, but you, are, you allow sort of intramural debate right. within, let's say, a church body. And that doesn't that's not a negative comment on the life of faith that you're trying to sort of struggle together today's conversation is with pete ends and jared bias who are the hosts of the amazing podcast the bible for normal people pete a professor of biblical studies and jared a former pastor professor and entrepreneur have a depth of academic knowledge that most of us only dream about okay only i dream about but i'm also a nerd But even with all that academic knowledge, they are able to take the very complex and explain it in approachable ways. Believe it or not, people don't think about the Bible in the same way. Okay, everybody probably knew that already. But they make space for people to sit in the tension of differing beliefs in a way that I find inspiring. This conversation was challenging and helpful as we try to navigate the vast differences in thought and interpretation. Stick around for the weekly takeaway and for the inspiring quote. The first question I always ask everyone, uh, just to kind of have a fun way of leading into things, is I love to ask people, where is your favorite space? And it can be like as theoretical as like Mike McCarg said, his favorite space is when people are actively listening. Um, or it can be like an actual space in your home or like a space that you like to go, like a co-working space, whatever it might be. When you think about a space that you, and it doesn't have to be favorite, you just have to really like it. Is there a space that you really like? And then the follow-up question is why? So either one of you hop in, where is your hmm. favorite space? What about you, Jared? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, let's see. I think probably going with your gut's probably a good idea because it's usually more true than when I try to overanalyze it. But I would say the first thing that came to mind when you said kind of abstract was 
being with a group of people problem solving is probably one of my favorite spaces to be in. And that's because that's my personality. I love, I love problem solving for sure. And it, I, it reminded me of that concept of flow um, by yes. that, uh, I guess he's a psychologist with a, a name that I can never pronounce, but um, that idea of kind of where you lose track of time when you're in that space and definitely being with a group of people, a small group of people, problem solving something, brainstorming, creating plans, that becomes that kind of flow for me where I lose track of time. I love that. Hmm. What about you, Pete? Where's your favorite space? One of your favorite yeah, mine's, spaces. Mine's more physical, literal. It's, I just, I really, really like early in the morning when, you know, that first hint of sunlight is, mm-hmm. you know, coming out and just sitting on a couch by an open window. It's just, it's just a really, really nice way to start the day. And it's sort of like really sort of a centering place. So that's what I like. I love that. Yeah. That's a great way to start the day in its actual space. And you have to make that space and be intentional about it. Yeah. Waking up. Um, you shared earlier that you have dogs. Do your dogs join you in that morning time? <laughs> Not if I can help it. Uh, but sometimes they do. They find me. I, I have pictures where I'm like, I'm sitting down. I just have a cup of coffee. I'm just sitting there relaxing and taking it easy. And within three minutes, there are dogs on either side of me and a cat on top of me. So, But that's okay. I got to accept that too. They, they can be a part of that space. It's not necessarily private, but I like it better when it is. <laughs> I tried know, to be super animals. holy and get like a really good practice of meditating. And my dog um, becomes... That's really, impossible. Yeah, it becomes he becomes so needy. Like in yeah. the moment, I like him like, all right, I'm in it. I'm going to do this. Um, he just starts like pawing at me for pets. <laughs> um, and then like he's so cute that it's hard to like... So I just decided that I'm having like a Richard Rohr attitude about my dog. Like... You are the yeah. divine. We're all in this together. Um, yeah. So my audience But you is, can't, you can't okay. meditate because you have pets? No. Even just five minutes? No, absolutely not. Not five minutes because no. three minutes they'll start barking about nothing. So, you know. My dog is mute, which, but he, he lets you know he's there. He is definitely like a, a <laughs> hugger. He just needs, he's a, loves attention. So yeah. um, <laughs> he's not very holy. Uh, or maybe he is. Maybe that's a sign of it. Um, ah, So my audience is folks who, some of them did grow up with religious backgrounds, some of them did not. Some of them are designers, and that's kind of what they're into. So it's a really fun mix of people. But I want to give a little background about what you guys do. So you have one of my favorite podcasts, I'm not lying, uh, The Bible for Normal People, and my dad loves it too. Um, And it's just a podcast that's trying to make, you know, people think about scripture. Is that a fair way of saying that? How would you describe it? Yeah, I, I mean, I would. That's that. That's a good place to start. I, I would maybe you know Jared jump in here, but um, you know we're just trying to bring different ways of thinking about the Bible that you know people maybe who went to seminary or you know beyond that sort of things we take for granted that really help explain the Bible why it looks the way that it does. But other people they don't really have access to that and. And we sort of want to popularize some of those ideas for people who are just looking for new ways of thinking. So that's how I put it. I love that. Um, there's also uh, something that I've always wanted to ask you guys, which is in the opening to your podcast, you say it's the only God-ordained podcast. <clears throat> and I'm wondering like, what kind of paperwork you had to fill out for that, or was that just like... 
<laughs> so when I got ordained, I had to fill out a lot of paperwork. So I was just wondering what it was like to get your podcast ordained by the divine. Hmm. Well, that's. I think that's I probably. Know, Jared takes care that, of the paperwork. That's more my area. So. Um, I deal yeah. with most of the paperwork. <laughs> so, you know, it really wasn't that difficult when you have when you're as uh, good of people as Pete and I are. You have this direct wow. access. So, God's Perfect. you know God's secretary doesn't need to get involved. We just go straight. And so it really wasn't that difficult, mm-hmm. you know, asking you shall receive. I think that Bi- it says that's what the Bible says. So. It says in the Bible. These guys, if you don't know, are clearly Bible scholars. I'll do the little intro um, before. I'll record it before so you guys don't get to hear what I say about you. But um, clearly Bible scholars. Clearly. Um, I also would like to know what it would be like to be God's secretary. That could be maybe the worst job. It's like the complaining <laughs> Like Apple geniuses don't have to deal with as much complaining as I'm sure God's secretary does. Right. Yeah. I mean, they really are the first filter for all the prayer requests and only some make it through. <laughs> so, you know, you got to really get a format it just right. And if not, it doesn't make it through. A lot of people don't know that. I don't know, the Jim Carrey movie where he played God or yes. something. Yes. He typed really fast. He could handle email. Yeah. Like he was just a very fast typer. So I think he probably, you know, preferred to do it himself. I mean, how, how can... How can somebody filter that, Jared? I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. There's also the idea of you have to say, we just, I just. That's an important yeah. part of, like, you have to kind of couch all your requests. Otherwise, God can't hear them. Well, yeah. It de- yeah. It really yes. depends on how many justs and lords are in your prayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, we're kidding. Um, but one of the <laughs> things that uh, I just love is the idea of being able to help people sort of move from kind of a, a very literal understanding as Pete was saying earlier there's like this very you kind of inherit from your tradition one way of looking at the bible and maybe you look at it like it's something that you can't approach and so other people approach it for you and then you're hearing through their filter and then for those kind of folks it can be quite you know disorienting when they start hearing things that don't quite go together um and so what from both of your past got you guys into this work of helping sort of normalize um, biblical scholarship or make it approachable? Well, I mean, for, for me, it's just, I think for myself, just thinking through it, you know, and, and trying to always connect it with, so what? You know, and, and, and you know, actually these things are helpful because, you know, people, when they start reading the Bible, start having questions you know, not too far into it. You know, by chapter six, everybody dies in a flood. <laughs> you know, that sort of will raise a question now and then. So, um, but it, it's things like that, like coming to terms with the Bible as it is and not the way it was sort of prepackaged. And then realizing that there is like a long history of people who do that. You know, they, they think about that. They, um, they've, they've written about it. They've debated, talked, and, and not just like, for the past hundred years, but for the past two thousand years and more, that this is this is sort of a normal thing to do is to talk about the Bible and try to understand it and accept it and try to explain it as best as you can, and and that's that's a good thing. You know, we're about trying to be honest and and not just honest because you know that's a cheap way of saying it, but I think not. I mean, I think this might ring true for a lot of people. Not be afraid to say, right. hmm. I really don't like this here, and I wonder if there's another way of seeing it, and I wonder if other people have handled it. And and I and I think that's for me that's very much experiential too. It's it's not it's not really an academic thing, even though, you know, there's an academic background. It's it's always been 
a really big so what kind of question. Yeah. So if I read this and I hear this, so what? Now, did both of you grow up yeah. in, I would say, sort of literal communities? Did both of you grow up in the faith tradition? I, I would have definitely grown up in that. I grew up um, kind of as a half Southern Baptist, half charismatic in Texas, where regardless of how different those seem theologically in terms of how we read the Bible, the, the structure of what the Bible is and how we read it, it would have been identical in that, uh, you know, the inerrant uh, the Bible is an errant word of God, and that has these implications for how we're supposed to read it in terms of historicity, um, a literal approach, and kind of those things that tend to follow from that. So, yeah, that would have definitely been my upbringing. Hmm. What about you, Pete? Um, well, I haven't really grown up yet, so I'm fair, waiting to fair. see how yeah. it all... As someone yeah, who knows so. you, that's fair. <laughs> I wonder how this all ends up. I have no idea at this point. But no, I see, I grew up a little uh, differently than, than Jared. I, my uh, parents were, uh, were immigrants from Germany, which is really a short answer to a much longer story I won't get into. But, uh, you know, they came over in the late 1950s, you know, 10 years after the war kind of thing. So they, they raised my sister and I with basically just a general belief in God and Christianity, but nothing very, like, I didn't grow up with weird parents religiously, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they sent us to, um, to do a communion class at the Lutheran church. So that was my first real sustained exposure to, to Christianity is in sort of a liturgical environment, which I hated because I was 12. Right. Right. But yeah. now I sort of relish that sort of thing. But, um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, Jared and I have very different kinds of backgrounds, but uh, I think, you know, I very much uh, walked into that more, let's just say, evangelical or fundamentalist kind of approach to the Bible and to God and things like that. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just glad I didn't have the baggage that some people have. And yet you encounter it. I think the... When I think about making space for people as they're sort of, a lot of people use the word deconstructing or like this, you almost touched on it a little bit there, Pete, where the people have this fear when all of a sudden they start having questions. Um, we sort of fear it. I was having a uh, book study this week with some folks and a girl said, I used to have a bumper sticker that said, don't believe everything you think. Yeah. And it was the tradition that she grew up in that like your own experiences that you we're sort of hinting on are not to be trusted. You have to trust how other people kind of share the Bible with you. And she said, once it, once you started to open that, it felt it's scary. Um, so what do you do? How do you make space for not only yourself to like experience that fear? Cause I think I'm sure you guys get some pretty solid criticism. Um, and I think it's out of people's own fear of if I let go of this thing, what do I do with that thing? Um, how do you, have you experienced sort of this like massive pushback from folks as far as, cause you allow them to sort of open it up and, and look and question and which has been a tradition forever, but people seem to think this is brand new. Yeah. If I could say just a few things. One, I think yeah, we have to, I mean, for, for me, it's been really helpful for my own kind of emotional state, getting pushback and other things being a pastor for a number of years and walking with people through recognizing that it's not an abstract fear of for people. It's a very concrete and social fear. Like you will mm -hmm. likely lose friends and family and community members 
that you've had for maybe your whole life, authority figures will disrespect you. Like there's a, a real sense that if you change your mind about God or the Bible, that you could you could lose things. And so I think that's a just a real tangible fear that I think we we don't maybe give enough attention to um, how that is you know how that impacts your everyday life with the people around you. But the other so you know an emphasis for me in all of this is creating a space for people to feel like they can ask those questions without that fear. And it reminds me of, uh, I think it was maybe Rob Bell who said, you know, you show me someone who calls me a heretic and I'll show that, uh, you know, and I'll show you someone who doesn't know their church history. And I really appreciate mm. that being able to say like the, the, if we understood the history of the church, there is so much diversity and such a broad space. And I like that when Pete and I can show in our book studies or the things that we do with people on a more individual basis, we can kind of point to, well, yeah, you know, so-and-so said that about 600 years ago, or so-and-so said that about a thousand years ago. And guess what? They're a saint. Um, And all of these things, it's like, oh, I'm not alone, not just here, but kind of throughout the history of the church. And I think that can be a powerful thing too. Yeah. Questioning is part of it. Part of the, part of the process. What Although that's think? frightening too. So, yeah. you know, that's, that, that's Jared saying it's, um, we don't like having our narratives disrupted. You know, we all have stories we tell ourselves about our lives and how things fit together. And, you know, faith is been, has at least been presented to people as that thing that makes sense of everything else. Right. It's not the thing you've got to try to work through and figure out and live with ambiguity and all the gray areas, you know. And, and I think a lot of what Jared and I have experienced in our own lives is just the reality of the ambiguity. It's just you, you cannot, you, you can't nail it down. And to try to, you know, normalize that for people, at least, you know, just to show them that it's actually normal. People have thought this for a long time. And, um, and, and in that sense, create sort of an alternate community for people where they know there are other people like them. I'd say, you know, Jared, and I, like one thing we get a lot from people is, you know, it's, I'm so glad I found a place like this mm. where I can just sort of talk and ask questions. And yeah, that's, that's, a, real, uh, that's a real thing out there. Yeah, because there is there's, um, actual risk in saying, I don't think the way you think, because it's really hard to um, establish a community that isn't just like based on same thought. And we have to really do that because our thoughts shift so much. If we're, if we're doing the work of study, of learning, of questioning, we're going to shift. And the fear is that then we lose people. And as pastors, there's nothing more frightening for people when you don't have the answer. And it's really hard to like sell a product that doesn't fix all your problems. Right. Um, (laughs) there's a a certain shape in your heart and only Jesus can fit there. And when you start saying, well, which Jesus, like, let's look at the scriptures. And there seems to be a lot of different understandings. It's really scary for people. And I think they see a difference. They see demolition instead of deconstruction. Like I have to let go of all, I have to demolish all of it. And it can be quite, a panicky time. And so it's difficult to walk with people through it. But I think, yeah, as a a pastor, as someone who sits with people in it, I think sometimes just normalizing the questioning, which is actually part of the tradition, right? If we even think about like midrashic reading that does the, hey, if if you're not questioning it, you're not actually engaging it. You know, the the thing that Mm -hmm. 
I always say it's like a relationship with a friend. Like the minute I don't actually care how you're doing and I don't question what's going on with you, I'm, I'm no longer actually interested in you. If I just take you at face value of when I say, how you doing? And you just say, fine. And I'm like, great. Um, that's not real relationship. And I think that's kind of the thing that I appreciate about both of you is like, um, sort of offering it on the table as maybe, maybe not. Um, have you found that people, as they have been engaging your work and they're finding each other, does that create this new sense of community? I'm sort of sensing that people who listen to your podcast can relate to each other. So it's like a community that may not be based on um, where they live. Is that something that people are gathering around this feeling or thought? Pete, do you want to answer? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think so. It's, um, I mean, we're all gathering virtually the past few months <laughs> anyway, but you know, that I think that's just one of the wonderful things about the internet that um, people do feel a sense of, you know, I, I can't speak for everybody. We have, you know, quite a few people who are a part of this, but uh, just a sense of release, I think, that they can be themselves. And, you know, we hear stories of how their communities, their, their sort of flesh and blood communities are not supportive or just difficult or, you know, I, I'd like to leave, but I can't because you know, my husband or wife or whatever, you know, or my cousin or something is the pastor and I can't just walk <laughs> out. Yeah. It doesn't work that way, you know? And, and, and so they look for alternate communities to just, you know, just to feel not alone and to be reassured that they're not crazy for saying things like what you said before, Sarah. Um, like my experience is really pushing me in a certain direction and I simply can't deny that, right? And, and you talk to people and you realize that's pretty normal in the history of Christian thought. It's, you know, experiences drive theology all the time. And, um, but, but you don't hear that, right, in certain communities. And so to be places where people normalize our humanity uh, and, and not deny it or try to stuff it in a cage someplace is just a reassuring thing for people. And that's... Um, you know that that's that's you know I would say at the end of the day that's why we 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 do this and we enjoy doing the Bible for normal people and all the stuff that goes along with it because it's you know it's it's you know like many other people are doing it's sort of filling a need. Yeah, it's like a people a book, right? This is a book, an ancient text, but it has so much attached to it. It's almost excuse my Wesleyan theology. There's this understanding of the quadrilateral it's called which i think is the sexiest form of theology which is the idea that the scripture tradition reason and experience they all go together right mm -hmm. um yeah. and i think you can't have one without the other and yet we have had it's actually a very recent um idea that scripture is the only thing you should trust in but then that's hard to even do and what i love is that you guys kind of point out yeah even scripture doesn't really <laughs> agree <laughs> with itself so um it, it allows you to open a space how do you guys think about making space for people who think differently than you do because if you are in conversation with people who are going back to communities that are not thinking the same way they do their their orthodoxy is very different um how do you think someone can, once they begin to shift or once they're experiencing someone who shifted around them, how is space made 
um, or have you seen it made well for when people think differently? Well, I can say, you know, I've been in a lot of spaces over the years, many of which were filled with people who didn't agree with me and some that were. And I think it's important for everyone to kind of take stock of their own personal, emotional, psychological inventory in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think my experience isn't going to be the same as your experience. And I think it's important for people to recognize when they're giving advice for others to realize that because, you know, sometimes the right thing to do, the the brave and courageous thing to do is actually to leave that space and to go find a different space. And sometimes the brave and courageous thing to do is to stay in that space and learn how to grow and recognize that you kind of have your own baggage and your own side of the street to clean up and being in a place with other people and forcing yourself to be humble and hear what other people have to say. Sometimes that's the right thing to do, but I I really think it's, I would be very cautious to give people generic advice because it really depends on, on your, the pain, um, the, the, the past, your experiences, how you're built, your personality. And I think only you can know for sure what the right thing to do is as you kind of balance, you know, we, we grow through suffering a lot of times, but sometimes we have long lasting, uh, hurtful effects from, from suffering. So we're kind of figuring out how we can, how we can navigate that well. And, and that's where I think asking other people, um, and getting a, I, I'm a big fan of what I call personal boards. So if you're thinking of a big life transition, and this came from actually my pastor, uh, when I was going through a transition, he's like, I'll put a personal board together for you. Who do you want? And um, just get Mm. three to five people and say, hey, this is where I am. What do you what do you think? And let them ask some questions and give you some feedback and that sort of thing. But in general, I would just say be, be wary of generic advice on that. Absolutely. That's great, because sometimes it's safe and sometimes it's not. We're going to take a brief break from this conversation to listen to some messages from our sponsors that make this podcast possible. What I'm afraid of is that we're getting in our echo chambers, right? Um, And so one of the things I'm most passionate about is kind of helping people um, exist in the tension where we don't all think the same way. Because otherwise, I may not actually have a real relationship with someone who is the type of person that I'm struggling with. So if you don't know a biblical Mm -hmm. literalist, you may not know, like you can say, oh, they think or they, you know, you you create this sort of straw man or person that isn't actually real. And so I think it's when I think about how we've sort of gotten to this place where we can't understand each other. Um, you know, where the country is in turmoil, that everything has been made bipartisan, even, you know, something like COVID-19 is all of a sudden an issue, a political issue, which is, you know, something so strange. Um, and I think it in some ways goes to church as well, where, or communities of faith where we've created these echo chambers. And so um, I think it is a great thing to take stock of, like, where am I in this and how have I either created an echo chamber or how have I sat in a place that may not be healthy for me? What do you guys think about this sort of idea of the two sides that have been created, which is just kind of a silly idea that we're not all very similar? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's to me, that is getting back to fear. I think the polarization is on some level an expression of fear of the loss of something if you don't have it your way and and you know we're all prone to that so i'm i'm not i'm not pointing fingers here but it's it's really really in front of us and and um you know i mean 
I don't mean this as, as too blanket a statement, but a lot of people are raised, at least in the American Christian scene, let's say Protestant, conservative Protestant Christian scene, to uh, to polarize in a sense, to, you know, we're, we're right. The problem is with those people out there somewhere. And that fosters that. I think a lot of people come by that attitude, uh, you know, innocently. And, you know, and I, I certainly have in my own background that too. And um, to, to create an alternate community where that kind of polarization is not the norm, but you are you allow sort of intramural debate right. within, let's say, a church body, and that doesn't that's not a negative comment on the life of faith. That's you're trying to sort of struggle together, and um, you know I, I say this you know whenever this comes up, but just having had experience with Jewish professors in graduate school. And seeing that more directly, the history of Judaism, which, you know, is not, you know, the yellow brick road or anything, but, it, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 ha- it does things that the Protestant world has not done as well, which is not defining a community by simply being on the same board doctrinally with everything, but having a deeper commitment to each other and to God and debating and disagreeing, strongly disagreeing about things, but that doesn't shatter the identity. And if your identity is really wrapped up in essentially an intellectual expression of faith, it may not be very convincing, but it's still intellectual. It's ideas and it's arguments, and we know we're right and they're wrong. When your faith is wrapped up almost entirely in the world of ideas, you're not going to be as tolerant of other people's ideas because ideas will be very threatening at that point. And, you know, I think we're just sort of in this muck. And how to get out of it, you know, glad you asked. Uh, I have no idea other than not do that and and model something for other people and and hold out a little bit of maybe hope that this is not the way it has to be. And there are other ways of doing all this Jesus stuff. It's so interesting how shocking it is for people when you do that we have this thing called theology on tap where we meet at a bar or now we meet on zoom um and we just bring a theological questions and i refuse to kind of answer i like to just sit and ask questions and then we have quotes from all over the place like last week we had like rupaul and um but also like pope francis whatever it might be but um people will say repetitively oh i can have a dis like i can disagree with these people and yet I still feel connected to them and I haven't been able to do that in a space before um and at first it's interesting people approach it with fear sometimes like I feel like this is wrong like they'll they'll, even when they answer a question I know this is probably wrong but I think um and so I think this idea of just okay well what if we just allowed people to disagree and it didn't have to be um that they were you know branded a heretic or think we're going to be praying for you. You know, when a, a lot of the people at our church joke that they're on, they know they're on somebody's prayer list at this point, um, because of the, all the <laughs> different thoughts that they're having, like, Oh, clearly a prayer list has been created with our names on it. But yeah, when right. that space has been made, there's that feeling of like, first it's normal to feel unsafe. And then right. it's normal to feel safe and you're your ideas begin to open up and then your ability to not think that a relationship will be 
severed because you think differently, but it's a, it's a real fear. Um, I think it's wonderful to say like, Hey, we're not going to give you blanket answers. Um, but I think having that ability to disagree and still be in relationship is such a gift that people can give each other. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a question that I think, uh, I think it will be uh, helpful, maybe. Um, although both of you, I can see both of you saying, well, I, can, I don't think you can give a solid answer for this, but I, I like to ask people sort of like, what is like one thing if you're thinking about how do we make a space where people feel like they can question things? Is there something that you can think of that's other than just modeling? I think modeling is really helpful. Um, what have you found has been, because you've had very differing theologies on your podcast um, and even from your own, when you're engaging those conversations, kind of how do you approach them in a way that you feel like opens up the conversation? Yeah, I can maybe go because I disagree with Pete strongly on most everything he believes. And um, <laughs> so I've had to learn. That's only because Jared doesn't understand it yet, but that's okay. Uh-huh, we'll, we'll just... uh-huh. So, no, <laughs> but I think, you know, one thing I tell people, because I, I've had a number of people ask me that, and I think... We've gotten, we prioritize getting really good at articulating our own beliefs and making declarative mm. statements. And that's how we learn how to communicate better. But I think learning how to ask better questions could be a really good start. I found questions to be so very important in my ability to connect with people um, and learning how to ask questions that sometimes questions can be statements, but sometimes they can just be questions and being able to not just ask questions, but then have a posture of of humility and extreme curiosity behind those questions can really go a long way to help people put their guard down and and show people that I genu- I genuinely just want to know you and I want to understand what you believe, why you believe it, how you believe it, and uh, that's just a practice I think that we're we're lacking because we feel like it's important to quote stand up for what we believe and articulate what we believe. Um, but what I believe really comes out and expresses itself best when I am in a posture of curiosity around people. Yeah, and I was going to um, uh, just jump on that, too, because I, I think Jared hit it on the head, the, the curiosity. I, I, mean, t- I mean, I've said to people about being, curios- being curious about their faith, and they look at me like I have three heads. <laughs> That's the thing you're not supposed to be curious about. You know, you're supposed to be solid and rock solid and stuff like that. But when you're talking about God and infinity and <laughs> all that kind of <laughs> stuff, it's hard not to be a little curious and, and to be, and, and to say, I don't know, and that's okay not to know. And um, that not be the end of the world. That's, that's important. But that's, I mean, see, the thing is that, you know, to say curious or to be comfortable with mystery, that's still not like, how do you get there? That's that's a different question, and I I don't have the answer to that other than life has to happen, mm. and and old structures sort of give way to like I I have to figure something else out here. This isn't working, and you know the the biblical tradition, goodness gracious, is just full of that sort of thing with old and New Testament. Just you know, our view of God is changing because X, Y, and Z happened to us. Well, it's also Jesus was a questioner. I mean, I joke that like I would have hated going to lunch with Jesus because you'd be like, hey, where do you want to go to lunch, JC? And he would have been like, I don't know. Where do you think I should, you know, where would you say I would want to go to lunch? 
right? It's like always a question. It was never like a solid answer. And just I pick a that, place, will you? Yeah, geez. Um, I think there's just so much to be said about when you have that posture of curiosity for yourself and curiosity for the world. It's um, it's actually, you know, I read a bunch of studies about how people move from um, like absolute, um, I believe this and very like fundamental about, and people, other people on the other side of that believe that. And one professor who was, um, a Jewish scholar, she, um, was actually a psychologist and she had people who have very different beliefs, have conversation. And what she did was had them understand their own beliefs and then they would have a conversation where their goal was not to change the belief of the other, but to simply be curious about the other ones. Mm -hmm. And they found that they're, once they, the first step, which is what Jared said, was really know their belief, like kind of working on their own. And, and then they found that, oh my gosh, I actually have a lot of questions about the things I thought I really knew. And then for them to be able to share it with someone who has very opposite opinions, um, but they weren't trying to change their mind. They were just sharing from th themselves. They, you know, then did redid a study and they, they found the other person to be more, you know, likable, acceptable, even their beliefs to be something mm -hmm. they were more comfortable with. And it was because they sort of sat in their own thing and they weren't afraid of the other person trying to change their, their thing, right? It's that fear piece. Mm -hmm. um, and then being curious about like, oh, that's interesting. You believe that. Um, and curiosity is something that, it is kind of a muscle that you can flex and it gets bigger. And, um, and if you have that sort of non-anxious presence of like, okay, you believe that and that in no way threatens my, my belief. Um, and I think that's a kind of a false narrative that's been taught in churches that if someone thinks differently than you, they're dangerous yeah. as if thoughts are dangerous. Um, and frightening. And, and I think we're kind of in a weird cultural moment where we're sort of, people are afraid of thoughts or don't, you know, even questioning like the medical professionals, like again, with this health crisis we're in, it's like, well, I think I would rather like hear from the, you know, epidemiologist than like your neighbor, Jack, who had a opinion about it. You know, there's this interesting <laughs> thing where like, we're not going to believe people, but if, if we can be curious and we can ask those questions, then it opens up a whole new space in some ways. So can I ask a question yeah. in that? Cause we've said two things and, and I don't have an answer for this, but you know, on the one hand, you know, Pete said earlier, our experiences drive our theology. And then on the other mm -hmm. hand, we have a great example with this coronavirus and a lot of people thinking that their experience is the one to be trusted, right? Why trust the, mm -hmm. who knows all the agendas that these health professionals have. And I'm just going to go off of, you know, my own 20 minutes of Google research and experience. How do we hold those two together? Where on the one hand, I want to advocate for people to trust themselves more and trust their own experiences more. And on the other hand, I see the downside of that when there are trained professionals who are saying things that we should be listening to. And maybe sometimes we shouldn't trust our own, you know, uh, biases and our own thoughts that were uh, kind of that Dunning-Kruger effect that we are uh, gen tend to be see we we think ourselves smarter than we actually are. So how do we hold that intention? Do you guys have any answers for me? <laughs> Go, Pete. Um, no, I mean not really, because I think that's a good question. I don't think that can be solved easily. I, I think my starting point for um, for trying to discern that at least is 
what's the end goal of this whole process? And and if it's, for example, I'm going to trust my experience because my end goal is to stay safe exactly where I am and never change. Um, I, to me, the, the goal affects how I might read the you know, the confidence with which someone accepts their experience. And I, and I see that, in my opinion, I do see that with what you mentioned, Sarah, with um, people denying, let's say, true expertise for their own, but through, you know, a Google search and things like that. And, uh, and, and I think that's a different kind of trusting your experience than, again, this is, this is a, you know, a value judgment, but uh, someone who's a pilgrim in life who's curious about life and who sees things and is uh, genuinely that word again curious and open and trying to understand the nature of reality rather than trying to hunker down and keep things as they are and that's well, and think- you can't you can't judge that you can't look at that and say hey you're like that you know but that's that's why people have to you have to know yourself yeah, and that's the, you know, if we're honest, like, that's just using one one uh, expert over another. That's saying, like, the expert of the person I read on Google or the, you know, news I click on, um, it really is choosing another experience versus, you know, I'm, I've decided this is the experience that I'm going to believe versus this one. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a hard thing to both say yes your thoughts and feelings around something are important and also maybe the thoughts and feelings of you know this expert might be something we should pay attention to or even their training in it and i think even if we take it to the biblical idea um you know it's it's sort of hard sometimes when i have dealt with pastors who are wonderful people but didn't do any sort of theological or scriptural training, but they grew up in a tradition that, you know, you go to Bible school attached to your church where you learn what your church believes about the Bible and then you become a pastor. So now you're an expert to a certain group of people and there's been no sense of curiosity, but then I've met them when they're in the midst of their curiosity developing. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting how they become more, space like they they become space makers once they themselves go oh my gosh i have been saying these things for so long so i think we're in a really weird time of trying to figure out who are the experts and how do we listen to them and then how do we also trust our own intuition and sometimes i think it's both trusting your own self but also like being able to see yourself as limited um it's a real Mm -hmm. honest reflection of self it's yeah, I mean, to be self, to be, to trust, to cultivate a, quote, healthy trust in oneself requires a certain level of knowledge of self and of being self-critical. And I, you know, I have to say that carefully because some people are just drowning in self-criticism, those, mm-hmm. those negative voices inside. That's, that's not healthy. It's like it's, you know, there's, there's, um, it, it, there's toxic shame and then there's non-toxic shame, right? It's just you, you have to discern which one you're dealing with. But a healthy dose of not knowing yourself and self-criticism as you're also being curious and learning to trust your own instincts on things, that's, I mean, I, that's almost like trying to be a human being at that point. And that's, that is hard. Mm-hmm. And that never happens in a time of polarization. 
I think. I mean, I shouldn't say never, but I just that's you know that's when you tend to want to pick sides. And you, I mean, I do that. I'm I, I I'm on that side on this issue, not on this side. And uh, when I do that, uh, it's it's more reactive than reflective, and I'm not really examining my motives at that point, which I need to do, right? Um, but uh, you know, that, that's I, I think it's it's so important just to to know yourself and to think critically as we're learning to accept who we are. And it's not either or; it's it's those two those things have to coexist. I think in a healthy person. Yeah. And that's not always uh, been a pr- like people haven't been like, oh, my gosh, look at you. Good job getting to know yourself. That's not necessarily a skill we've taught people. And I'm hopeful that some of that is being developed, even like with the work of Brene Brown and that sort of thing, where people are mm-hmm. finally able to let go of needing to be an expert. You know, there was a, a long time where you, you couldn't like to even question anything would mean letting go of sort of a social like value that you had because maybe you're starting to question things. And and I find that a lot with pastors that I talk to is like, I'm starting to question things and I'm afraid because I'm going to lose my value as an expert um, mm-hmm. versus that thing you said about it's human being. You're becoming a human being, human beings wonder. And the Bible's full of those stories of people who are like, I thought it was this way, but maybe it's this way. And they're not shamed for it. You know, one of the things I recently notices that Jesus didn't get mad at Thomas for not being sure about his resurrection, right? There was no shame Mm -hmm. in it. Um, You know, we often say, like he was, there was no like, and we don't even know if Thomas ever did, you know, doubting Thomas known for touching Jesus's wounds. We don't, the scripture doesn't tell us whether he ever actually did. He just was questioning and there wasn't shame in that. And I think we've created this fear that questioning leads down a slippery slope, as they say. Um, but it's often because we're afraid to question ourselves. I think you're right. There's an inner reflection that has to happen. I don't know how to get us out of this bipartisanship other than relationship, honestly. Um, knowing people who are different than us and being willing to hear and not afraid that hearing other opinions will destroy ours, you know? Mm-hmm. But have you have you tried arguing on Facebook? I- I hear that works pretty yeah, well. Yeah, I've heard that's super. I thought Twitter was actually in the more helpful. I've never gone on Twitter and not seen a fight. I don't ever really go on Twitter for that exact reason because it's like, I don't know what's happening. It's like everyone is very angry about everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what to do because I'm just like, this makes me uncomfortable. That's why I have to go to TikTok. That's right. I've not tried it. Have you guys? I don't even know what TikTok we gotta is. We got to dance it I mean, out, guys. We got to dance it out. Uh, I mean, maybe that's why people are like, because <laughs> what happened is it was like, Facebook is a lot of words. Okay, well, that's making people angry. Maybe we'll do Twitter, which is just a few words. Mm, people are still pretty angry. Let's try Instagram, <laughs> which is just photos. And like, nope, that's not working. Yeah. Now let's just dance. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> We're just like, that's we right. can't get along. Dance and lip sync comedians and things like that. So, yeah. Now, you do have the angry rants there, too, but it's, it's, they're fewer and far between, I think. But uh, is it I know only Jared's our resident singing? TikTok expert. Well, Jared has kids that are age appropriate. Is that why yeah. you're a resident TikTok or is it for yourself? You no, can my, be honest. My kids, are, my kids aren't actually, they're not on any of that. No, it's, I mean, I should probably lie and just say yes. I should blame it on my kids. No, I've never been more, my, my wife has probably never <clears throat> been more disappointed in me than the day I told her I had downloaded TikTok onto my phone. So. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah Sue like, said, why'd you do that? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know because I have to. It's part of the business, so I got to be aware yeah, of all know. this stuff. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't done it yet. I, I yeah, I have like a weird curmudgeonly, like my friends call it, my Golden Girl side, where I'm a little bit like, <laughs> you know, Dorothy from Golden Girls, where I'm like, nah, <laughs> I don't need that. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I'm interested to see, and like you should probably know, like I'm not the person to like certain things I'm really trendy on, but I'm famous for having said, why would they put a camera in a phone? We don't need cameras in our phones. We have cameras. And I didn't think that was going to take off. So that is probably well. don't invest. Yeah. Don't invest in anything. I think is great. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I think, noted. as beautiful as it is that people are finding community online. Again, my fear is that idea of echo chambers and algorithms deciding what information we hear. Um, And I think that's my, you know, sometimes when I have a tough time with Christianity as a whole or even whatever faith gatherings, I think at least it's a place where people are gathering. And I know that's not something we're doing right now, but um, the chance of running into someone who thinks differently than you is higher when you're around people who are, not in your algorithm and i think that could be a potential space um for people to have some real change because you're encountering something but we have to teach people how to do it in a way that like you said i'm strong about who i am and i am not threatened by your thoughts um but it's it's definitely a lesson and it's the thing we have to teach people you have to practice that in real life with people i mean that's one reason why i'm 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 really thankful for at least you know some of some aspects of my own background where you know I there were a lot of conservative people right so you have to learn to listen differently and you know you you, have, you become more self-reflective in a sense and you know I teach college students now and that's very helpful because you know they're coming from so many different places and some from you know from pretty conservative traditional households and uh, just to you know realize that they're in that space now where they're not in the echo chamber mm-hmm. and they're they have to listen too and I I know what that feels like to have to do that and so it puts me in a better position to sort of support and encourage that without them knowing that I'm doing that and that has to, and, and you, you do lose that. You're right. I think in social media, um, you know, there's certain news outlets I won't turn on when I have the control over what I want to watch and others that I might be more drawn to, right? So um, I'm not hearing other things. And uh, that's, you know, the problem with the 24-hour news cycle and instant information whenever we want it. We tend to gravitate towards things we already think. But I think that's, yeah. you know... While I think social media makes that easier and it's built and designed for that, I think it's more about how we see ourselves and how we want to be in the world and what kind of information we do want. I just know I've made it a very conscious effort to follow people I disagree with, but I think who think cogently about things, politics and other things on Twitter and and I follow them, and I, you know, I think if you if you seek it out, you can find it. And that makes me think that maybe we start with helping people to understand the value of seeking it out. Like, what's the real value of being around people who disagree with you? How does it make me a better person? How does it help me understand things 
in a different way? How does it help other people uh, when I do that? So I do think we can we can do that. I just it makes me think of that, Pete, because you said, you know, that's not my. We gravitate naturally toward this more echo chamber way of being. But how do we start from younger ages helping people see the mm-hmm. value of not doing that so that even if it is easy to do, um, we can maybe make other paths? Yeah, it doesn't uh, make uniformity isn't the goal, right? Um, I have a, a good friend, Lamont, him and I are on staff together and comes from the black church background. And he always says, like, look, like when we're talking about inclusion, it's not about uniformity. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm not asking you to think the same way I think it's it's more about solid like how can we both have our thoughts have our traditions have where we come from and there's this mutual respect that I think uh, in some ways from churches to the political sphere to all these sort of things if, if we're seeking out difference of opinion it does begin to open us up to hearing and not requiring uniformity and even like with biblical scholarship like I don't think the way you think and that's okay I'm not afraid of the way you think and I've had a I've had really interesting experiences when people try to share with me things that they feel are absolute truths and I say great like that's how you feel Um, I don't think that way but that's okay I'm okay with you thinking that way and that has opened up more doors than me saying oh my gosh that's so wrong and here's the eight reasons also I made a sign Um, (laughs) and I think that's the those are the moments I want more and more for people. So when I think about why I think, you know, hopefully that we'll ever be able to gather together again, I can't imagine even as professors are thinking about this, the value in it is maybe the opportunity to learn the skills that will help us be better humans online or just wherever we may be. So Mm -hmm. you guys have been so generous with your time. Is there any last thoughts that you would have about making space for people who think differently than you or as you're encountering change or anything you just want to throw out there before we say goodbye? Well, as a pastor once said, just don't be a jerk. (laughs) And that's, and I'm serious. He did say that in the sermon. I said, yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down to sometimes. (laughs) Just don't be a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually, I don't know how you're going to follow that, Jared. Oh, I don't try to follow up with Pete. I don't. That's that's a tall order. (laughs) Animals and pets and Pete. (laughs) Great. Guys, thank you so much for my microphone at first wasn't working. We're having all kinds of technical issues, but I am grateful. I miss you guys. I'm sad. We usually see each other at a gathering and that's not happening. Mm -hmm. So it's good just to hear your voices. Absolutely. Same here, Sarah. thanks, Thanks for making it happen. Good to be with you. I will talk to you soon, I'm sure. As I think about my conversation with Pete and Jared, it's clear that getting curious is a great way to make space. It seems so elementary, and yet, what would the world look like if we were willing to be curious about the thoughts of others and why people think the way they think? I'm grateful for this week's conversation and for the friendship of both Pete and Jared. They keep me laughing and also thinking. If you haven't heard their podcast, I highly recommend it, even if you aren't someone who would normally listen to a podcast with the word Bible in it. This week's inspiring quote is from Fred Rogers, or as most of us know him, Mr. Rogers. In times of stress, the best thing we can do for one another is listen with our ears and our hearts and be assured that our questions are as important as our answers. Making Spaces is edited by Stephen Burnett from The Cult Popcast. The introduction music is It Can Be Done by Ari via Epidemic Sound. 
If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And leave us a review. It helps other listeners find us and let us know that we're on the right track.